This is Brooks Ellison, and you're listening to Farming on Mars. Hey, I'm Sierra Ware, and this is Farming on Mars, a podcast that tells the stories of agriculture on the South Plains of Texas. I grew up on a cotton farm in the world's largest contiguous cotton-producing region, and now that I'm a college agronomy student myself, my love for farming and having great conversations with those who have come before me has only grown. This is about the land here on the South Plains. With an average annual rainfall of only 18 inches and the reddish color of the majority of soils around here, it can be just about as harsh sometimes as what I would imagine Mars being like. This week for episode 7, I had a great conversation with Mr. Brooks Ellison about his dryland farming operation, making input decisions, and advice for young people in agriculture. He had a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share from decades of experiencing the ups and downs in cotton farming. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. All right, I'm Brooks Ellison and I farm here in Crosby County. I'm farming about 4,300 acres. It's all dry land, all two in one. It's pretty simple. Uh, I farm from about 14 miles south of Crosby to a mile and a half north. All in between, so we got several, several farms in several different locations. But I've been farming, I guess, for forty-three years, and so been farming a long time. What is it like being entirely dry land, and what are some of the challenges that come along with that? Yeah, I'd probably tell you a little bit about the fact that I irrigated for years. I had twenty-three wells at one time, and. Uh, I irrigated up from the 1970, early 70s to uh, mid-90s and uh, was a dry land irrigated mix. So it got to where we couldn't make make irrigation work with row water very well. And the wells were getting, you know, smaller and smaller. So we had to go pivot or drip. And uh, I had mostly dry land, so I decided to go dry. Uh, <clears throat> It makes it less of a challenge to me if you're all one, either irrigated or dry. If you mix the two, it doesn't work as well. It seemed to me like that's what happened to me. So I, in the early in the mid '90s, I decided to cut out all my irrigation and go strictly dry. And I picked up another three sections of ground and uh, made the dry land work. Uh, I think that it's been better for me because I my irrigation was was depleting down so long that it wasn't going to work anymore. And so uh, when I went all dry, I just focused on that. We cover more acres, uh, but I have a whole lot less expense in it. And uh, we decided, we tried uh, solid planting dry land, and it didn't work as well as, as two and one. So we started skip road pattern, and, and uh, so that I fixed my harvest equipment, planting equipment, and everything to suit that, and it worked real well. And it has worked well for me. A lot of it has to do with just luck, I guess, of getting the timely rains, but uh, too, you, you learn to manage it and protect yourself well with it, with uh, uh, crop insurance. One thing, too, I've done is on the years where we had pretty good deep moisture like this one now, coming into the next year with better deep moisture, we fertilize a little more. But on the years where we don't have uh, 
good deep moisture, we don't fertilize as much. So, you know, we just have to manage it different than you do with irrigation. How did you get into farming? I grew up on a farm. Uh, I went to a local Christian and uh, got my degree, finished my degree in 73 and then came back. And my dad was ready to retire. And so I decided to, uh, I, was, I never intended to come back and farm at all. In the 60s and 50s and 60s, it was tough out here farming. And uh, I, I didn't have any intention coming back and farming and uh, my dad he was getting older at that time and wanted to retire and he said if you don't come back I'm going to sell off everything and, and that'll be it you won't have a chance so I took advantage of that and thought well I can farm a year or two if it doesn't work I'll, I'll do something else I have my degree so I've been here ever since how do you manage inputs with dryland farming? Well, it's basically like I said before. If I have pretty good deep moisture, uh, I'll try to put some fertilizer out there. Or if I start a crop and it rains a good bit, it looks like I got potential to make a crop. I'll put I'll put more input into it. And uh, of course, we have to watch what we spend. And I, I try to watch uh, what herbicide I can use. The, the cheapest way I can manage it and still keep good control of weeds. Uh, but as far as inputs, I, I put as low as input as I can, but we try to keep it as clean as we can. If you keep it clean, keep your farms clean, well, it's a whole lot easier the next year, so it costs you less the next year. If you try to save too much and not put expense into it, it'll cost you the next year. So, How have you seen farming change over the years? Well, it's, we have less and less help here on the farm. It's uh, when I grew up, we we hired a lot of people, you know, from harvest uh, to planting. I mean, we just we spent a lot on on help, and now we do more with uh, big equipment, less people, more chemical. So it's it's changed. My dad wouldn't recognize it. He sure wouldn't be in favor of buying a bag of seed for $360. So <laughs> it's a lot different. We're, we're using chemicals more and more, especially with the varieties of cotton that we have now. With the technology, we can, uh, we can control things better with chemical and cut out on mechanics. Uh, we, I, when I first started farming, I was putting 1,000 hours a year per tractor on the farm and now we put very few hours on the tractor two to three hundred hours a piece maybe is all so it's a lot different we don't we don't use our tractors near as, as much as we used to we do do more with the spray beans how have you seen rural communities here change well it's getting less and less people that are qualified to work on the farm or even know anything about it uh, and our population has decreased. I serve on a hospital board yesterday morning. On a, in our board meeting, they reported that Crosby County, Crosby in itself, but even the county, had depleted by 14% in the last 10 years. And it has depleted a whole lot more than that the last 25 years. And so I'm seeing people move out of our little communities. We don't have near the business we used to. And with less people, it makes it more difficult on us when we do need help. 
As technology becomes more and more prominent on the farm, how do you think farmers will adjust? Well, I just wonder how far we can go with technology and, and be able to afford it. Uh, it's very expensive for technology. And, uh, you know, from seed to uh, GPS and uh, bigger equipment, I, I don't know. I, I know I need to probably go a little larger equipment and uh, cover more acres and probably take on more. But at my age, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> so I just see it getting more and more expensive. Everything we do is more, it's more expensive every year. So we're going to have to get more for our crops and, and um, make better yields. That's what's kept us alive. The last 10, 15 years, we've made higher yields. I just uh, up my yields at the FSA office and uh, all of my, every place that I had went way up in the yield compared to 10 years ago. So it's changing. What are your thoughts on stripper balers? Well, I, I think it's too expensive uh, for a small farmer. It's too expensive for dry land farmer to operate. And uh, I, I would have to buy a used piece of equipment in order to afford one. Uh, to make it work. And uh, I'm not sure how they'll perform when they get a lot of hours on them. Uh, when they get to be 10 years old, 7 to 10 years old, I'm not sure that you could afford to keep one up. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering how well they'll hold up, I guess. Uh, yeah, all of us could probably buy one and uh, put it out there, but I'm not so sure it would pay. I think they're too expensive. Uh, another thing that concerns me right now is the plastic contamination in cotton, and some of the wrap has has caused some contamination. And I don't, I'm wondering about where that's going with the wrap. So there's a lot of concerns about the round there. How does your soil type affect how you have to farm? I farm just ten miles south, well, really twelve miles south, down towards the uh, Owens area. And, it gets more sandy down there. So our soil profile's a lot different down there than it is up this way. And uh, so it, you have to manage it different. It's harder to keep it from uh, blowing out. And uh, it requires more nitrogen on the sandy soil. So we have to manage it different. Every place is different. What advice do you have for younger people in ag? Well, uh, you know what? What concerns me, I guess, right now is we have very few that want to come back and farm. And, uh, you know, my advice to anyone who wants to pursue ag is uh, they need to learn as much as they can on the new technology. I think young people uh, will probably handle technology better than some of us that are older uh, because they like working with electronics and Everything we do now is, is electric uh, operated and, and uh, guided. And, uh, you know, we have a spray rig, everything on it is new technology. And, and uh, it's, I have a younger guy that works for me, and he enjoys that running that spray rig, running anything with GPS. And uh, not only that, but to just keep it up with the new type varieties that we have. Younger people need to learn how to do that. You're going to have to farm beside someone else, too, for a while to make 
they learn. It takes a lot of, a lot of money to get started. So there's a lot of challenges for young people. Do you ever see another crop besides cotton being dominant here on the South Plains? No, I, I don't for this area because uh, our annual rainfall is so low. And there's more and more uh, ground that's going to be going into dry land cotton or dry land acreage. And, uh, you know, milo is one one uh, crop that we can raise uh, dry land, but, you know, it doesn't pay that well. So in the harvesting equipment and uh, how you handle milo, it costs just as much to raise it here as it does cotton. So I, I don't see us going to anything else. Cotton is a uh, good cash crop. It's It's been king around here for years, and, we already have the equipment to handle it. We already have the gins to gin it. We have very few elevators. So, it, you know, I just don't see anything else right now. Where do you get information about new things going on in the farming world? I learned local dealers that, you know, handle chemicals are, are a big help. But I think not only that, but, uh, you know, our Ag Extension Service provides us with a lot of information we don't know which direction to go, they, they can help us out. We we go over that experimental station in Lubbock, and they help us out. We have those at our disposal. So that's where we get most of our information. And other farmers, people that have already tried it, are a good tool. Why do you think it's important for current and future generations to learn about farming from the past? Well, I think I think most farmers my age and older, they uh, they want to preserve some of our history, I guess, and show where we've came from to, uh, to where we are now. And I think that's important. I guess we're afraid we'll lose uh, lose a lot of that information, or, or young people will understand where we came from in farming, <clears throat> come from a long ways in the last fifty years, and it's you know. I guess that's pretty important to me and other people. Something that I I enjoy seeing is what other farmers do when they're not farming. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of hobbies for farmers because we're always busy, too busy. But through the winter time, or like right now, where it gets slow, I have a hobby at the shop here that I I enjoy doing, and that's restoring old equipment or old uh, tractors for the museum or or uh, cars. I showed a car for several years, so uh, I. But I enjoy hearing what other farmers do on the side. They usually have some hobbies that are pretty fun. Could you talk a little bit about this year's crop and the situation that we had? This year's crop. <laughs> this year, this year's crop was different. I I saw from the very beginning it was going to be real tough. We didn't have moisture on dry land to get anything up, and. Uh, we were getting just enough showers to mess us up when we started planting because when you dry plant, the worst scenario is to dry plant it and get a little shower and get it just going and it would die out. And that's what was happening to us. Well, a lot of our cotton died and some of it hadn't come up. And we kept getting those little showers. It was just messing it up. And uh, I, I saw pretty quick that it wasn't going to work go very well for us. And... Uh, then we got some hail on top of that in May and in, and in June, and it wiped out what little cotton we did have up. And uh, I told 
my hired hands and this is the cotton here. And uh, I think they kind of looked at me funny, you know, and I just said, it's not a cotton here. And I don't think it's going well. And I don't think it'll end well. And uh, so I got out of it. Uh, it cheered out most of all my crops. And uh, it's turned out where there was well, there were some pretty good-looking crops around that were late, but then that early cold spell hurt those. And so it's, it hadn't been a good year. Now it's turned wet for a month when we ought to be harvesting. And uh, so that's not that hadn't turned out well either. So, you know, it's just been hard and difficult all year. How do you balance the agronomy and the actual farming part out in the field with the business side to make sure that you're actually turning a profit? Well, I think one of, the, one of the key things that's kept all of us in, in business is, uh, is to have good insurance and uh, really keep an eye on your insurance because you got to have some protection to keep keep yourself in business. And uh, you always need to keep enough cash to operate on uh, for another year if you can. And uh, But insurance protects what you do have. And you've made it in the last several years, but... I think where farmers have gone wrong is not putting money aside for the next year. And, uh, you know, you can't buy too much and get too much expense out there because whatever you buy, those bills are going to come due. And uh, whether you buy a new tractor, a new piece of equipment, if it's expensive, those payments get high. So I, I think the advice to young farmers is you got to really watch your money, make sure you reserve enough for, for another year. And carry good insurance, and uh, I just hope that we have a good insurance program ahead in the next several years because that's important to protect yourself in case something happens like this year. Where do you see the cotton industry going in the next twenty years or so? Well, I was really kind of negative on that, felt bad about it the last last couple two or three years when cotton prices weren't coming up like they should. But this year, I saw cotton prices jump, and uh, what I'm seeing is the world situation's changing a good bit, and uh, there's more demand for cotton. And I'm just hoping that that uh, we'll have more and more demand, and maybe have a little better price in the next few years. And if we get a farm program and get higher prices, it could be real good for cotton. Uh, other other commodities are suffering pretty good. Cotton's been doing good. What do you look for whenever you're picking out cotton varieties? When I look at varieties on uh, dry land, which I, that's totally different than what somebody would look for irrigated, but all of our varieties now are, are better producers than they have been in the past. But when you plant dry land, I wanna, I usually always plant early varieties. Uh, I want one that's early uh, mature variety. And some people ask me why, and that, the reason is because a lot of years I dry plant, and I may dry plant in May and not get it up till June. So if you plant a long maturing variety, uh, then that can really mess you up. And because uh, you'll have it coming up in June and be a late plant, uh, late maturing. And, uh, so I plant early maturing varieties, and I want a variety that's real tight bow because it's got a hole in there for me because I, I harvest all of mine one machine so it takes me a while dad's made a bunch of comments about that this year he needs to stop planning like mid maturity yeah. and just do early because 
especially with a year like this where yeah, you know, planning late came up late. You never know. You know, it's, even the guys that have irrigation, if it's drip, it's going to do that. You know, they had trouble getting theirs up like I did. Yeah. Then if it comes up when you get about the 15th of June or 20th of June when it rains, you better have an early mature brightening. <laughs> someone told me that maybe someone around, I don't know, maybe like Sweetwater-ish area, they plant. They planted some this year, like around July Fourth. Yes. Um, sounds some, crazy to me. There were some here that did that. Really? How does it look? Well, it's it's loaded with bowls, but they're not fully matured out. And when that cold spell hit a week ago, it's cold enough it stopped everything. Mm-hmm. So they don't look good to me. Yeah. You... It, it may it may not have got cold enough long enough to just totally. Stop it, but I don't, yeah, I wouldn't think it'd be very good. I think the grave would be bad, even if it does open. Yeah. It doesn't look good to me, but I've always been one to be more optimistic on farming. You have to be when you dry land. I mean, if you're as pessimistic and <laughs> have a year like this, it'd be bad. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be oh, the yeah. end of the world, I do. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, and I said, well, I'm you know how bad it was. They were bitching about how bad it was not having any crop. And I said, "Really? On a year like this one, it's not all that bad." <laughs> you know, at least I didn't put all that expense in it and not make very much. I think the worst case scenario for a dryland farmer is to get in a year like this and then finally get it up and only make like less than two hundred pounds, or just enough to mess up your seed, mess up your insurance. It's still not making anything. Yeah. You know, that's the worst case scenario. Uh, you either need to lose it all or <laughs> or make a decent crop. But you get in there where you have to pay for your insurance. You support that crop all year, have to kill it, have to harvest it, and then still not make 175 to 200 pounds. And it wrecks everything. Yeah. You don't get anything out of insurance. You don't get any seed money back for cotton seed. So we, it, it's a worst case scenario. So, yeah. I, I was lucky enough I got out of that. Really. What gives you the motivation to farm? Just challenge, I guess. And, uh, you know, there's not too many people would think this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I, I enjoy it. Even the challenges, but like this year, I still enjoy it. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here. I'd be doing something else. Do you like the aspect of kind of working for yourself, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the only time I ever worked for anyone else was when I was going to college. <laughs> I worked painting new homes. <laughs> That's what I did. I did that for five years while I was going to school. And then we moved back over here and started farming. And I worked for my dad, you know, while. You know, we went partnership. I mean, I own my own pretty well. So it's different. I'm not used to working for someone else pretty much. Yeah. What are your thoughts on using cover crops on dry land? On dry land farming, it's very difficult to make a cover crop work. And you're talking about planting into cover crops, what you're talking about, not strip farming. But <laughs> for a cover crop, which would work very well with the chemicals that we're using. 
But, but a cover crop requires moisture. And uh, you take up a lot of moisture to grow a cover crop. And uh, a dryland farmer can't put that moisture back. I mean, it has to be rainfall. And so when you raise a cover crop, you deplete your moisture level so low you can't recover from that most years. And, uh, that's why I don't use a cover crop. It's like what moisture we're storing up right now. If you had a cover crop on it and you come up in the spring of, say, wheat, it'll take all your moisture before you kill it or have a big enough cover crop. So if we could get a lot of moisture every year, it'd work fine. But we're not guaranteed to have a dry land. Now, irrigated guys can raise a cover crop if they want to spend the money to do it. I don't know how that well that would work. I don't see it. What's your favorite piece of equipment? Uh, I guess I guess my favorite is uh, uh, cotton stripper, the harvest equipment. Uh, run a seventy four sixty, and we were trying to swap every two to three years when they were making them. But now they said they're going to quit making those and go to the round better. So, you know, I don't know what I'll do harvest wise. I'll I'll stay with the uh, eight row seventy four sixty for a while, and then if if these round baiters hold up well, I may end up buying one of those used. But I guess harvest equipment's my favorite. It just, it's fun to run. Over a period of several years, we built up, it takes a long time to build up a lot of good equipment. And I feel like I've got good equipment. And uh, one thing I've tried to do is I, I've worked up to a point where I've got enough land to justify two full-time employees. And you need to have the amount of employees and amount of help to match up with what what you want to do farming-wise. And uh, we farm about 4,000 acres. I've got two full-time employees. I've got three sets of equipment, three of everything. I've got enough tractors for backup. If one goes down, I put another in there. But it takes a long time to build up that much equipment. And uh, that's, that's something I've, I've taken pride in and enjoyed. Because uh, I, when I first started farming, I took one toolbar, used it for my planter, used it for my cultivator, tear it down and make my lister out of it. Now that's a lot of work. And, uh, but I had to. I didn't have anything. So it's been a challenge over all these years to build up enough equipment that I've got enough equipment to do what I want to. This last year, I, we had some terraces, and I bought a, a maintainer, a road grader, and it's caterpillar, and I build my own terraces up and stuff like that. But it takes a long time for a guy to be able to afford to do some of those things. But uh, I guess that's something I've enjoyed doing too, is building up enough equipment to handle what I want to. But every farmer has to figure out how much ground I want to farm, how many employees do I want to have, and uh, make it work. This has been kind of a perfect scenario for me for probably the last 20 years of farming. I've had two employees and myself, and it works real well. We just hire some part-time once in a while. But that sure has worked good. In the Roundup-centric world that we've been living in until just a few years ago, what's a significant change that you've seen in the way people farm here? I feel like most of the time that we're applying way too much chemical. I don't like seeing that much chemical put on the ground. But 
the farmer's going to do what is the most economic to raise a crop and uh, do it the easiest way we can. But I guess something that concerns me is we, we're not plowing as much as we used to. And uh, I'm still wondering if we ought to go back to more of that. And, uh, maybe we should. Uh, I have started to cultivate a little more than, than I was. But anyway, I think I think that's it. I think it concerns me is, is how much chemical we are using. And I don't like seeing that. But I know the chemical companies wouldn't want to hear that. But <laughs> I think it's, yeah. I think if we use as little as we can and, and uh, still make it work, we'd be better. Well, I guess the biggest difference is, that really has been good that we don't do it is we plowed a lot. One thing that I learned from uh, back in the seventies, uh, especially dry land farming, we uh, we ripped the ground every year. Not a lot of plowing. And like I said, I was putting a thousand hours a year per tractor. That's a lot of hours on a sitting on a tractor. And, and uh, we don't plow that much anymore. And it's made it a lot nicer because we uh, we spend a lot of hours in the field plowing. And uh, we don't do very we do very little plowing now. And, uh, so it gives us a lot more free time to do other things, whether it's working on equipment or getting ready for harvest and you know it's just easier uh, that's one thing I do enjoy about farming and about really excited about is it's easier it's a whole lot easier even though we farm more acres it's easier than it was and uh, one thing that's also nice different from the 70s and 80s was the varieties are so much better uh, we're making a lot more yield and, uh, and a lot less inputs I know, uh, I know it's more expensive on chemical side, but when you overall, the overall picture, you're, if you're making the yields, you can afford to be out more expense. It's it's a lot easier, a lot nicer. You see that picture behind you? We were harvesting that's uh, three years ago. Some awful good cotton. That's dry all dry land cotton. Looks good. But it's really good. It's, it's harvesting clean. It wasn't, that, that's variety selection. But that's FiberMax. And uh, FiberMax has hurt herself bad by not having dichemic cotton. <laughs> and all of mine is next gen now. And mm-hmm. the reason, only reason is because basically the chemical, they don't have the chemical protection in FiberMax. And uh, we, we had to switch to next gen, which it's a looser variety. What if I was stripping the next gen there, it'd be a lot more white cotton on the ground. <laughs> and I don't like that. Besides optimism, do you think there's another key characteristic that a farmer needs in order to be successful? Yeah, besides being optimistic, of course, you have to have the drive to get out there every day. And, uh, and you know, that goes back to loving it. I mean, it's not just being optimistic, but enjoying what you do and enjoying making a crop, the pleasure of making a crop and uh, the challenges. Uh, you gotta, you got to be self-motivated to do that. And, uh, you know, I, if when you're working for yourself or farming, you know, you have to choose to get up early and get with it or just lay in bed or mess around doing something else. 
So it's got it's self motivation. You have to be that, that type of person. If you're not self motivated, you don't need to be out there. Uh, I see. I've seen a lot of farmers come and go, and uh, you have to be one that is thrifty, but yet self motivated and get out there and get with it. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Farming on Mars. Again, thank you to Cody West for allowing me to use his song Melody. Please go check out his album called Green. You definitely won't regret it. Well, I hope you all enjoyed learning more about Mr. Brooks Ellison as much as I did. And please remember to check back again next week for another great episode about the people of the plains. I don't know the answers, but the questions.